0: Having read 2 Samuel chapter 12, it may not surprise you that we're going to look at Psalm 51 this morning. My text will be from verse 10, where David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And my aim will be to work towards that to trace how it was that David came to pray that prayer. But let's read Psalm 51. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew, O God, and renew a a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. David was once described by God as a man after his own heart. In comparison with Saul in the days when Saul was turning away from God, And there was some panic in the kingdom as to who then was going to succeed him. And the Lord said, I have a man, a man after my own heart. But when you read 2 Samuel chapter 12, and then you read this psalm of confession, you say, what has happened to this man? What he did and what is described in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is hardly the actions of a man who has a heart for God and for God's own heart. David had sinned grievously. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then in an attempt to cover up his sin, he had Uriah, her husband, eventually put in the front line where he knew he would die. But it was an act of murder On the part, it was premeditated on the part of David. What happened to David subsequently to his act of adultery and murder? It seems that there were a number of months went by, perhaps even as much as a year, when David was weighed down heavily by his sin and by the guilt of his sin before God. He describes it in Psalm 32. Your hand was heavy upon me. It almost destroyed him. He did not confess his sin. He was silent before God. And the longer he left it, the worse he became. David's mouth at that point was closed by his guilt. And that's what unconfessed sin does. It destroys you, ultimately. It eats away in your own heart and in your own spirit. It's a bad place to be. And David was in this bad place. It's the worst place to be. Sin before a holy God and yet not confessed. But the wonder of what we read this morning is that God did not abandon David. God showed mercy to David. One of the Proverbs says, He who covers his own sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. And that's what we discover this morning. How does David come to the point where he prays? In Psalm 51 and verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. He has a long journey to make to come to that point. We read then firstly, and I want us to recall, God's mercy to David as God confronts David with his sin. It was a painful thing for David to experience. It's painful for us when God points out our sin and confronts us with our sin. But it's his mercy that does that. He doesn't let us go on and on and on. He stops us in our tracks. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. We read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he comes with a story. And every one of us, even the younger ones here, can relate to this story. Two men, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had lots of flocks and herds. The other poor man had one precious ewe lamb, which he treated like a daughter. It obviously lived with him in his own house it was like a pet one day a traveler comes and the rich man flatly refuses to take any of his many flocks and herds and prepare a food meal for this man but he takes the poor man's lamb. you can feel the anger can't you you feel the injustice of that how could someone do that you say David is incensed when he hears this story. As the Lord lives, the man who did this thing deserves to die. He showed no pity. He's got to repay four times at least. Nathan, very boldly, stares David in the face and says, You are the man. You are the man. Nathan rehearses all the blessings that God had previously bestowed upon David the king. And asks him, why have you despised God's commandments to do evil in his sight? See, Nathan is a prophet. He's been sent by the Lord and the Lord is going to expose David's sin. He's confronted with the evil of his sin, with the guilt of his sin before God. And then we read the amazing words in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan says, The Lord, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. When David has condemned himself by his outspokenness and his anger and he's confronted now and convicted of his sin he has done evil he has done wickedness his adultery and his murder and all the complications of that weighed heavily upon him and now he's been exposed after months of silence and the lord shows mercy to him and says nathan says the Lord has put away your sin. Mm. You have to stand aghast at those words. What mercy is this? David had been ruthless. He showed no pity. He would followed his own evil desires. And then he tried to cover the whole thing up. Here in Psalm 51. You have an eloquent proof of God's love of God's mercy, of God's forgiveness that he bestows upon sinners. You have proof too of David's sincere repentance, his turning away from sin, knowing that it is displeasing to God and turning away and then going in a completely different direction which would bring us then to verse 10 in due course. That is the heart of the psalm there in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's a cry from the depths of David's heart. That desire should be the desire and the cry of every true repentant sinner. Of every true Christian who has put their trust in Jesus Christ and turned from their sin... Their desire now is to walk in purity and holiness of life before God. We might well ask, well, how many people cry out to God like that? What kind of person cries out to God in that way? These aren't the words of a wishful thinker whose... I'm, I'm, I'm far from perfect I do my best I'd like to become a better person that's not what David says that's not what David says a person who says well I'd like to be a better person I'm aware I'm not perfect simply has not understood how serious sin is It is an evil. It is a wicked thing. It is against God, the God of heaven, who is holy and pure. You have done evil in his sight because you have sinned. That's the plain fact. That's true. Me, it's true of you, every single one of us in this room this morning. These are the words of a man who has found mercy with God. God has been merciful, convicting him of his sin, and then drawing out this desire that he might be pure. He's found forgiveness for his sins. This is the cry of a, a man who has found forgiveness with God. This is a cry of a man who is repenting of his sin. This is a man whose faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. And he wants his heart to be renewed and transformed. And that can only be by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a natural thing in any way. Having seen then God's mercy and the way in which he convinces David of his sin. We see now, secondly, how God in his mercy leads this man to true repentance and the plea of Psalm 51 and verse 10. And there are four things concerning this mercy of God. What impact does this mercy have upon David? First of all, in Psalm 51, we see He has a deep awareness of the evil and the guilt of his sin before God. He makes confession of his sin in these opening words of Psalm 51. He talks about his iniquity, his transgression, and his sin. Those are the three key Old Testament words for sin in general verse 3 notice I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me in Psalm 32 he had said I kept silent I said nothing I was not convicted of my sin before God but now convicted of my sin I acknowledge he's speaking with his lips and saying yes what you said Lord is absolutely true I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. I've sinned against you. This man accepts the truth about himself. Nathan has brought that truth to him. The Lord has confronted him. And he goes on to acknowledge that he was brought forth in iniquity. In sin my mother conceived me. Now that doesn't mean to say he had an illegitimate birth. It's simply saying... That's the way I was born. I was born into this world and I was sinful from birth. It's not just a problem of my outward acts. It's my heart. My nature, my very nature, is sinful. And because my nature is sinful, then I do sinful things. And he's acknowledging that. He's going deep. He's going back to the roots. He's going back to the foundations of why he has committed this adultery and this murder while his sin was unconfessed he felt very little of its evil and its guilt but we've seen he was troubled he was ill it almost destroyed him now nathan has confronted him he realizes what he has done his sin has been exposed i'm guilty i'm unclean i'm impure and he makes confession of his sin to god that's the first thing we see but where does the mercy of god bring him Where well, he has a profound awareness of god's mercy notice his opening words have mercy upon me O god according to your loving kindness according to the multitude of your tender mercies No one ever came to God confessing their sins unless they had a profound awareness of God's mercy. If you see God only as a judge, you're going to run in the opposite direction. There's no way you're going to turn to God. But when you see that God is merciful, that God is willing to pardon, and God is willing to forgive, and you confess your sin, it's because of God's mercy, a profound awareness of God's mercy. He pleads God's loving kindness. He pleads the multitude of God's tender mercies. His only hope is in that mercy and he knows now that he will not be turned away and he will not be refused. That's why he pleads, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, verse 2, cleanse me from my sin. Transgression is rebellion against God. It's disobedience. is breaking God's law. Sin is lawlessness. And David says, I've been lawless. I've broken your commandments. Wash me thoroughly, he pleads, from my iniquities. Iniquities are, the word means to, uh, to twist something, to pervert something to turn it away from its right path. He says, that's what I've done. I've, I've been iniquitous. and My sin, I've missed the mark. I've missed the mark entirely. I've fell to, fallen away. I'm guilty before God. And these pleas are repeated again in a slightly different way in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David wrote another psalm, Psalm 130. Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? If you actually marked out and counted those sins, those transgressions, those iniquities against us, who could possibly stand in your presence? But he goes on to say, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared with the law there is mercy there is abundant redemption God redeems Israel from all their iniquities David had found the abundant forgiveness and redemption that God bestows in his mercy Now, of course, David is an Old Testament saint. He only had the types and the shadows, the sacrifices, the offerings that were made daily in the temple. But for a Christian living in the New Testament period, New Testament age, we know that those sacrifices are pointing to a greater once-for-all sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all of our sins, David lived a thousand years before Jesus came into this world and died on that cross and shed his blood. But David was ultimately looking to Jesus Christ, and it was Jesus Christ who saved him. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But God in his mercy, God in his mercy forgave David because God in his mercy has provided Jesus Christ, the only Saviour of sinners. And I'm here today to tell you that there is pardon. There is forgiveness for you. Don't say, oh, well, all this thing about sin, it's it's not really a big thing. And anyway, I've not really committed adultery. I've never murdered anybody. Well, stop and think about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if anybody looks upon a woman to lust after her in his heart, He's committed adultery. And if anybody stands, stands up and says to somebody, you idiot, you fool, and seeks to put them down in hatred, said, that's murder. That's murder. Which of us can put up our hand and say, not guilty. I can't. And neither can any of you. If we confess our sins, that's the key thing. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ is the only saviour. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only way to find forgiveness. He died in the place of sinners. He died the righteous one for the unrighteous, that we might ultimately stand righteous, justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We can stand before God in the name of Jesus Christ through his righteousness. He is our only plea. He is our only hope. And if there's anyone here this morning who's not yet come to Jesus Christ To be saved, I would urge you, I would plead with you and tell you that there is one Savior who is willing and able to save you. He is willing, however sinful you have been, however unclean you are. He came as the Son of God into this world, He took upon Himself human flesh and He was crucified and his blood covers us from all our sins and God provided him in his eternal love and mercy that's our gospel that's our hope but repentance has another side it is not only an awareness of sin it is not only an awareness of the mercy of god but the mercy of God also leads us to the point where we have an acute awareness. And David has this acute awareness of the need for renewed obedience. Renewed obedience. Let me give you the literal translation of verse 10. The word order is slightly different in our translations. But the proper order is a clean heart creating me oh god the emphasis is on a clean heart my heart has been unclean and impure i've done these wrong things i've committed these evils and these wicked things lord a clean heart is what i need is what i want above all else having been forgiven having repented of his sin he doesn't stop there he's not going to go back to this path that he's trodden over these past months he wants to go in a new direction a transformed direction not now back to his own lusts and desires but a clean heart there's no going back to his sin all along you've seen his desire for a clean heart and now it becomes very focused in verse 10 this is my fundamental need No longer corrupt, no longer unclean. No longer following his own lust. No, a clean heart, Lord. A steadfast spirit. A new direction. One of obedience. In his inward depths. What is our heart? It's not the physical organs pumping blood around our body. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the whole of us. It's talking about our minds, it's talking about our wills, it's talking about our conscience, it's talking about our desires, it's what makes us spiritually tick, if I may put it that way. It's the control room, as it were, of us as individuals, our very being. See, most people today follow their own whim, follow their own intuitions, their own subconscious. But where does it get you? It takes you down, 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 further into sin. Because your nature is sinful. You need a new heart. And that's what David is praying for. Instead of the love and indulging in his own sinful lusts, there is now a new love for God. A love for purity, a love for holiness, a love for renewed obedience, a determination, a purpose. It's what he wants to do, it's what he wants to be. And how can that happen? Here's the fourth thing a humble awareness of his total dependence upon God. A clean heart. Create in me, O oh God. I can't change my heart. That's what David is saying. I can't change it. You remember how Jeremiah said to Israel of old, can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard get rid of his spots? You can't produce holiness and purity. And David knew full well he could not produce that holiness and purity. God knew that. For months, David's sin was festering in him like a wound with all its poison. It was destroying him. His sin was unconfessed. His heart was far from God. He was not a man at that point after God's old heart. But God had confronted him in his mercy and now leads him. Repentance, a new life, a new desire, a new longing and a new dependence upon God. I can't change my heart. It's very interesting the word used here create in me is the word that is used only of God in the Old Testament. Of God who created the heavens and the earth. It's a word used exclusively then of God. So he lays out his plea Lord, in your power, you must change my heart. You must make me new. He lays out his plea. The supernatural power of a merciful and a forgiving God. And that is the joy and the power that comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You remember, in the New Testament, John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born from above, unless you are born again, unless you are born of the Spirit of God. That Spirit is the Spirit who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And he is the one who gives life to us. David does not expressly speak in that way in verse 10. But in verse 11, he prays that God will not take his Holy Spirit from him. He knows if the Spirit is taken from him, then he's, he's a doomed man. He's a lost man. He can never have a created, he can never have a new heart created in him. He's pleading with God When we turn to the New Testament scriptures, to Romans chapter 6 and chapter 8, we find there that it's by the Holy Spirit that the Christian puts to death the deeds of the body that are not pleasing to God. That's the only way you can live if you are a Christian. Sometimes we do not give enough In our understanding that this is the work of the Spirit of God. Don't imagine for one moment that if you repent of your sin. Then you will be able by your own power and energy to live a holy life. A holy life is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Working daily, hour by hour in your own heart and in your own mind. You see then these four things. God in his mercy leads David to the point where he sees the awfulness of his sin. Where he sees that it is God's mercy and gives him forgiveness. And it is God's mercy that gives him that desire for renewed obedience. And it is God's mercy that sends the Holy Spirit to work these things in his heart. And you see... We're describing here effectively the Christian man, the Christian woman who has come to faith in Christ, repenting of their sins. These are the desires of a converted man or woman, a converted boy, a converted girl. How could you be a son of God? How could you be a true Christian? saying, I've been cleansed and forgiven all my sins. I've been washed clean by the blood of Christ. But then go back to your old way of life. That's a complete contradiction. It's not possible to do that. If you go back, the probability is you were never converted in the first place. That's the truth. The scriptures talk about the dog that returns to its own vomit it's not a pleasant picture but it's not meant to be it's meant to shock you no make us aware or like a a sow that goes back to the to wallow in the mud that isn't a christian the christian is a man or a woman who has a an awareness a deep awareness of the mercies of God, and you leave that sin and go on then in holiness and purity. So I ask you this morning, are you that real Christian? Have we been describing you? The word of God digs deep. It penetrates our minds and our hearts and our consciences and the word of god is asking us this morning does this describe me do i have these desires for god or are you the wishful thinker we mentioned earlier on who thinks you can brush up your life tidy it up a little bit and god will accept you you are greatly mistaken if you think that you need a new heart you need faith in christ crucified on the cross you need the holy spirit to change your whole pattern of life i would suggest to you in psalm 51 despite all that he has done in the past david is here a man after god's own heart He is that man, he's been renewed, he's been forgiven, and he is that man who is now a real, if I may use the word Christian, a real child of God, a real man after God's own heart. Are you a man, are you a woman after God's own heart? Are these your desires? Do you pray these kinds of prayer? Let me close by asking, are you yet a Christian? What shall I say to you with the light of all we've seen? I will magnify the mercy of God and tell you today there is pardon, there is forgiveness through the blood of Christ. You must come to Christ. Now I could say, to you will go away and pray, go away and repent of your sins go away, make sure you've got faith in Christ. But where are those things come from? Prayer isn't going to save you. Even your repentance is not going to save you. And your faith is not going to save you. Who is going to save you? Notice who? It's Jesus Christ and him alone who can save you from your sins. You must come to Christ. By all means pray. By all means seek to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. But it is Christ that you must come to. Him you must go to and plead the merits of His blood. Confess your sin to Him, and He will pardon and He will cleanse. That's the gospel. We preach a crucified Christ who shed His blood. Some of you may say, well, I don't really know what to do. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, well, I've sometimes heard about election. I'm not sure if I'm elect. Am I one of the elect? How do I know I'm one of the elect? And you may say, it seems to be unfair that God chooses some and leaves others. Well, what if I told you there was no election? There's no such thing as election. God will not save anybody. But he saves a multitude of people. And if you're thinking, well, how do I know whether I'm elect? Put that thing to one side completely and utterly. You can't know and probe into the secret mysteries of God's plans and purposes. He has provided the way of salvation by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And I say, if you come to Jesus Christ and you are saved from your sins, you will know it's because God has set his love upon you before the foundation of the world. Because that's the only way anyone is ever saved. So I urge you. I urge you to come. The one who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. That's his mercy, that's his promise. Come then to Christ and trust in him alone. Join with David in this psalm of true repentance and faith.